Welcome, everybody, to Fergon Freak. My name is the Glorious League Freak. This is episode 299 of the podcast. So the next one, we bring up 300. And we've got a very special guest. She's somebody that I follow on Twitter. Her name is Beck. Hey, Beck, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Now, you're a South Sydney supporter, and we've heard news tonight that Adam Reynolds looks like he's signed a multi-year deal to go to the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks. Um, what do you think about that? It feels like it's a bit sad. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a bummer. Um, I guess, like, in a way, you could probably compare Adam Reynolds to John Sutton, like, very much a legend of the club. I think most people, whether they're a South supporter or not, would associate him with South Sydney. He's a South Sydney boy, like, through and through. Um once the contract saga sort of came out in the media, I was like, oh, this is a bit bit of a shit situation. Like, mm. it's a bit of a bugger. Um, like, good on him if that's that's what he needs. Um, I think that the Sharks will probably really use him more as, like, a rebuild. Um, yeah. Very similar to what the Cowboys are doing with their halves with Chad Townsend. Um, but, yeah, I think we've – I've heard that we've got some good kids coming through. I have seen them play. Um, I mean, they're no Adam Reynolds, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the nature of the business. It's a bit shit. Um, it'd be good if he could sign on just the one year. I think Souths in a way are probably doing the right thing in the sense that they did the same thing with Sawali where they're standing their ground, Mm -hmm. but in the same sense, it's a bit crap. That's two really big players or really big names in the league that have been let go because they're not budging. Um, so that'll be a really big loss. Yeah, and the thing that gets me too is that they were saying they didn't want to give him a longer-term deal because of his age, and yet one of their best players over the last month has been Benji Marshall, who's, you know, 36 or something. It just, I don't know, it made no sense to me because it's not as though you watch Reynolds play and he looks like a player that's physically about to break down. You know, he looks pretty good like yeah. in terms of his health. And, I mean, the, his form is absolutely the best of his career. He's outstanding. Um, it just seems like a weird one, they, especially when you consider that his halves partner is a year older than him. And, you know, I can see them wanting to retool the club and not get old all of a sudden. But, mm. you know, this is a premiership window they've got here. I just think it's a weird situation to let go, especially of a halfback that's already proven he can win a premiership. Yeah, definitely. I think that's probably the weirdest bit. And we've been in the premiership window for a couple of years making like the prelims, you know, three years in a row now. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, we're really close. Um, and I think from Adam Reynolds' perspective too, if he goes to another club, is he still going to have that opportunity to have that window available to him as well? Um, like if he's like when he, they were talking about him going to North Queensland, it was a bit of a funny one in the sense that they're right in the middle of a rebuild. They probably won't be looking at the premiership window for quite a while now, um, at least a couple of years. And yeah, we do have a few, you know, I mean, we've got a pretty young side in comparison to others in the sense that there's like last year we had a really young pack. Um, but I think it's also the cap space as well because they've got heaps of players coming off contract. Um, they need to re-sign Cody Walker next year too. I think it's a bit odd that they're prioritising or it sounds like they're going to prioritise that over giving Reynolds a long-term deal. But in the same sense, yeah, 
I I don't know like if we're if we've been that close to winning a premiership the last few years is it really wise to be letting him go if we mm. like what I mean if we don't get there this year I mean surely in the next few years we should at least crack a grand final whether we win it or not who knows um but yeah it's a bit of a weird one Benji Marshall I was like a bit skeptical when we signed him um yeah. I thought that was a very strange signing considering the fact that we had Cody and Adam and they've both been outstanding um, the last few years, but he has brought like pretty good value, but then they're also talking about him maybe not playing on next year as well. Um, so that leaves us in a bit of a predicament because you sort of want your half pack there to guide the team around the field. And can a young kid do that? I mean, Sam Walker's don't grow on trees. <laughs> um <laughs> Halfbacks, good halfbacks don't grow on trees. So I guess it's sort of, it's an interesting situation in the sense that they probably want to start blooding the younger players so we don't get to the situation where we're keeping the older players on the field and losing all of our juniors to other clubs and losing yeah. all the talent that we've got coming through. But it's it's a bit of a sad one. I, I think it'll be very uncomfortable to see him in different colours. Um, yeah. But if he does go to Cronulla, good on him. I think him and Sean Johnson would make a really good halves pairing. Um provided that Sean stays um, injury-free and if he stays at the club as well. Yeah, I mean, they've got, geez, who knows what the Sharks are doing. At least now, I guess, you know, you could see why they got rid of Townsend. But, uh, you know, it, it's a pretty good starting block to get an Adam Reynolds there as they, you know, rebuild that club. The other thing about the Sharks that's a little bit interesting is they're looking to get younger next year. And to bring in a, a experienced halfback, it's in great in terms of he'll be able to guide the team around the park and things like that. Um, but it's not as though I would say the Sharks are in a premiership window. No. And, you know, but when they offer you that much money and, like, you got the feeling that he didn't want to leave Sydney. And, you know, the, the only other teams that really could have offered him big money were going to be... Um, the West Tigers who don't offer money to players until it's November. And <laughs> then the only other one that I think could have come up for him might've been Parramatta. If Moses moves on, what would yeah. you think if the Rabbitohs signed Mitch Moses? Um, yeah, I don't know. That would, I don't know about Mitch and Cody because I, Personally, I see them both as players that have a tendency to go missing. Yeah. Um, you need sort of one half that, at least one half that's always going to be present, you know? Um, so I think Dylan Brown brings that to Mitch Moses. But yeah. I guess, yeah, that would be a weird one. I did hear the one the other week about, um, I, I can't remember who it was that said it, but about us doing a halfback swap with the Tigers. And mm. I, I was like, no way. I yeah. spat the dummy. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> not happening. Don't want Luke Brooks. <laughs> no, no, thanks. Um, but, yeah, the, the only other clubs that you could think of really is Parra and the Tigers. And the Tigers, I don't I don't know what they're doing at the moment. <laughs> um, they seem to be juggling this whole drama with, um, with Madge, which I think is – I don't – I think there's a lot of circumstances at the moment with different coaches where coaches are getting the axe for things that aren't – necessarily in their control um, yeah. where they haven't had a say on the roster or they're going through, I guess, like a rebuild or in saying that with the Tigers, they've had quite a number of coaches in the last few years. So they sort of maybe could do with a bit of stability. Yep. 
And, and let's face it, the West Tigers are where rugby league careers go to die. So you, you, you don't want you don't want anyone from there, and you you know you don't want to see unless Adam it's Benji Marshall. Yeah, he's the only one. But Benji's like, it's funny that their best play they've ever had, and they got rid of him twice. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, and the last time they got rid of him wasn't exactly under the best circumstances either. They seem to do that to um their long term. Like I guess they sort of did a similar thing to Robbie Farrer as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. But Benji Marshall has been very surprising, um, especially for, you know, a guy that's getting on in his league career. And he sort of took a couple of years, I think, to warm back up into it. Um, But he was outstanding last week. I was was pretty impressed. I think that, like, he's been a really good addition to the side. Probably don't want him to do that every week um, just because, you know, he's probably not an 80-minute player for the whole year. but, yeah, I don't know what the Tigers are doing. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> the the cool thing about Benji that I've found this year is the way that Wayne Bennett's used in him. Like, when he comes on and they've got three playmakers and it just gives him so much more freedom to go either side of the field and just – it's one of those situations where it's like, just go out and cause havoc, and he yeah. does. And it's really weird because there's been times – like, I, I think that the – it's a three-horse race this year between Penrith, the Storm, and South. But there's times this year where South have – it's like they've gone for 20 minutes, half an hour, where they've gone into their shell. Yeah. And ben, Benji's shown he can go out there and sort of shake it up. And, like, it might just be the perfect scenario for Wayne Bennett where when he sees them going to their shell, chuck Benji out there and he'll drag them out of it. And you know that's a that's an absolute luxury to have that. Oh yeah, he's it's amazing. There's been quite a few games this year already where we've looked shit, mm. and they put Benji on the field, and the momentum has totally changed. And you're like, oh, well, where's that been for the last you know thirty forty minutes? Mm-hmm. I think like Penrith already, what, like they're unstoppable this year at this rate. Um, mm. They've been like fantastic, especially for such a young side. Melbourne, I think, are always usually up there whether we like it or not. Um, but <laughs> I think the funny thing with South, and it's a bit biased because, you know, I've followed them my whole life, but um, I guess the thing with South this year and even last year as well was the way that we can swing a game, like when we're not even playing at 100% and they fall asleep for 20 minutes and then they come back out there and blitz it for, you know, the whole second half. Like that second half against the Titans was, I think it was totally errorless. But the first half, I was like, wow, we're going to get, like, absolutely destroyed by Fafita and pretty much Fafita only. Um, So I think it's funny because South, I don't think, have quite hit their strides yet. I know they're sitting quite high on the ladder. I know it's still quite early. Um, But it would be kind of scary to think about what they could do if they actually played a full 80 minutes of football instead of just bits and pieces here and there. Um, I think having Latrell back in a couple of weeks will shift that because it's taken us a few weeks to sort of get into that stride. I did notice in our first game against Melbourne when Benji first went out there, they looked really messy and it was a bit confusing having that extra playmaker. Um, But I think it's something that they've sort of adjusted to as the season goes on, um, which is expected. I think when you throw new players in the mix that have such a big impact on the side, it takes time for everyone to sort of gel. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's funny going into the we did the um, preseason uh, preview, I guess, 
And I, I said that the team that really scared me was Souths because when they do get on a roll, like there's so many players in that side, like Alex Johnson is a pure try scorer. So he could score from like anywhere on the field. Um, Latrell Mitchell, he's getting better and better. The only thing about Latrell is it just seems like he just starts hitting his stride and then he'll get an injury or he gets suspended or something. Oh. And it's just, it's so frustrating because like, he, he just gets to the edge of like, oh man, he's going to start tearing teams apart and then something happens and he, he doesn't play for months or weeks or whatever. So, I mean, that's got to be rough to watch. It's pretty frustrating. Like, I mean, it's sort of handy. I don't think they did it at first last week, but this week they've named Cody Walker at fullback. Mm-hmm. Um, but they ended up putting him back there last week. But I think it sort of surprised me that we managed to hang on so well last year at the back end of the year when he was injured. But yeah. for like someone to be such a naturally gifted footballer, like even at the the Roosters as well, like he is just one of those standout players. You don't have to, you, you can't train that into someone. Like it's just natural. Um, mm. But yeah, it is really frustrating because he finally looks like he's starting to get that momentum and then he gets suspended or yeah. he gets injured. So hopefully when he comes back from the suspension, we can sort of get that momentum back and see him at like full capacity because he actually looks a lot fitter this year, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people were really doubting his ability at fullback, but I think he's slotted into that role so well at Souths. Yeah. Um, and that, that left edge combination that we have going, like you could see last week that we really missed it. And I think we'll miss it for the next couple of weeks. Um, so whether we win or lose a couple of games in the next few weeks is anyone's guess. Um, cause I was pretty sure that we were going to lose last week and we didn't. So <laughs> it's too hard <laughs> to tell. Um, but yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy to think that some people were doubting he could be a good fullback because like it, it took him some time, I think, to get up to speed with, uh, where he needed to be positionally. And then the different um, cardio that you've got to have as a fullback as opposed to out in the centres where he could really rely on just his natural strength and that sort of thing. You're on the move all the time as a fullback. But once he got used to that, it was just, you could say it was like, man, this guy's going to be one of the best fullbacks in the game. All these idiots. Like I think of the West Tigers who were in talks with him and they're like, no, we don't want to pay that much for for Latrell Mitchell as a fullback. We don't know how he'll be. And it's like, you idiots, you dummies. Um, <laughs> I'm really I'm really down on the West Tigers at the moment, as you can tell. Um, yeah, I, and you know, last year when he got injured, I think that might have, I mean, that cost the South team, could have cost him a premiership. Like, he was in that sort of form. Yeah, I, I think last year, like, and we were finally getting a really good stride with like Latrell at the back and mm. we were killing it. And then it just sort of, and I was like, Oh, we're screwed. And then like to make it as far as we did last year, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's no premiership, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'd like to see another, at least one, maybe more in my lifetime. <laughs> Still got a long while to go, but it'd be good to see another one in the next few years. Um, but yeah, like hopefully we can just sort of, he, he can keep fit and keep the momentum going this year, that would be, like, pretty cool. I don't know if he's going to get called up for Origin or not. Um, I think it's a bit hard to tell. Like, if he did, I'm guessing he would probably get called up at centre. But Mm. 
it's anyone's, yeah, I, I think there's a few people that are probably gunning for that position that are hopefully playing it um, instead of picking, say, Gutherson and White and oh. the centres again this year. I, I just, please pick specialist centres. <laughs> no, right. The, you know, the only player that I could see them picking in the centres um, is Burton. And that's just because Burton is absolutely killing it, and his oh, combination. Yeah. If that, like, if they pick uh, Lawai and Cleary, and you got Burton in the side, I could see them going in that direction. But I'm, I'm like you. I'm just like, stop with the fucking experiments and pick some <laughs> real centers. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Like, it almost last last year's Origin almost felt like when we were back in the Laurie Daly days, where mm. the team literally just got picked on. Loyalty, it didn't feel like there was really any performance sort of levels picked. It was just, yep, you're picked every year sort of thing. Um, so last year I was like, everyone was like, oh, you know, it'll be a whitewash. The Blues will win it. And I was like, oh, one, don't doubt Wayne Bennett because he'll pull something out that everyone will be shocked by. And two, I don't know, like, do you really need Gutherson and Whiten at centres? Like, you had Crichton last year, you had Campbell Graham. They were all playing. There was a few centres that could have been picked for New South Wales that were playing really well at a club level that it may have cost them the series. I don't want to go that far. But I think if you're going to pick a rep side, you sort of want to, unless they're like a specialist utility or, you know, say, for example, with Turbo, you put him on the wing if Teddy's mm-hmm. a fullback. But in saying that, Turbo's been playing absolutely outstanding um, since he came back. But whether he can stay injury-free or not, different question. Um, but, yeah, I just pick specialist centres. Don't just pick people based on, like, if you've got three fullbacks that are playing really well, but you know that one of them or two of them aren't going to be any good defensively, if you put, play them in, say, the centres or on the wing, then... They miss out. That's just yeah. the nature of it. 100%. And I, I've always got a hard and fast rule where if you're going to pick a state of origin player and they need to pack a hairband in their kit, don't pick them. Like, <laughs> it's just they're out straight away. Um, so I just realised something before. You're a Souths fan that, for the most yes. part, really only knows successful South teams. Like, do you remember when they were terrible? Oh, look, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, as a kid, I do. Like, I, I watched footy. Like, my whole family support South, so it was sort mm-hmm. of – there was no choice. It's support South or don't watch footy. Um, so we used to go to games. They used to lose. There was very few games that we would go to as a family where Souths would win. Mm-hmm. Um but I sort of really got into footy probably just before we, like the year or two before we won the premiership, that sort of, so I do like, I do sort of remember the rebuild, but not yeah. that well. Um, and I think it's sort of easy to forget now that we've been like such a successful club for, you know, so many years, except for like a couple of years after the premiership, um, we sort of fell apart a little bit for a year or two. Mm-hmm. But um, apart from that, I don't think we've ever quite been as, like, even at our worst, we haven't been anywhere near as bad as we were pre-premiership. Yeah. Because, um, like, South fans, for a lot of my life, South fans were tortured souls. Like, <laughs> we still are, but, I guess, in a way. <laughs> just different. Just in a different way. Now it's like, oh, man, 
we hadn't got that injury, we might have won a premiership. And I used to know South fans that would be like, oh, man, if we get three wins this year, I'll be pretty happy with that. You know, yeah. <laughs> the expectation was low, um, and now yeah. it's just a punish to watch us when we, like, throw away silly games or, you know, mm-hmm. someone gets injured or just little things. And it's like, we don't know how good we have it as South supporters now. Like, it yeah. could be worse. It could be a lot worse. Exactly. Um, my my dad's been a South supporter since he was a kid, and um, like when we went to the when we we went to the um 2014 grand final, and that was like you know that was fantastic for him and my uncle because mm-hmm. you know they've supported South since they were young, and they haven't seen that success in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a very emotional game for like I think pretty much my whole family. <laughs> um, there was lots of tears shed. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I don't really remember the unsuccessful sounds don't yeah. really want to remember it too nah. much i think it's a good reminder of what <laughs> we were once upon a time but you know hopefully we don't go back to that if we lose reynolds 100 percent. yeah it's uh i i'm a big believer in that you need to have I, I would like every every fan of a footy club to have at least one premiership that they can say oh yeah i saw that you know because like when the Panthers won their first premiership in 91, I was pretty young. And so I didn't really understand the significance of it, if I'm being honest. But then in 2003, yeah. I completely understood it. And that's what I consider my premiership. And so when, like, we lost last year in the grand final, oh. I wasn't devastated because, I, you know, I, I've already had a premiership. Like, I'm just happy for my yeah. club to be in the mix, be relevant. Because when your team is not relevant, and when you have like season after season where you think to yourself, oh man, you know, if we'd won four or five more games, we might be in the race for the top eight. Uh, that's they're the worst years for uh, any fan of a footy club. Yeah, that's that's true. I was pretty devastated when Penrith won last uh, lost last year. Yeah. Um, I wish they won. I because we like Souths played them the week before, and that was such a tough game of footy. Like mm-hmm. it was so close. Um. And I was like, so close. But also, I didn't want to play Melbourne in the grand final because Souths have a terrible track record against Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was – I feel like the the main frustrating thing about the grand final last year was that was that was pretty much Penrith's to take. Um, and yeah. maybe they came out a little bit maybe overconfident. I don't know what it was, but they – and I, maybe it was a bit of stage fright because I can imagine, like, you know, I've never been in a grand final except mm. in Oztag, so I don't – you know, I don't quite personally understand that level of significance um, on a personal level, just, you know, from just from watching and living through other people's success more than anything. Um, and it was it was a bit of a bummer, like to see a team that had been so successful last year and absolutely killed it the whole way through basically that second half of the season after COVID. And then it just felt like it it fell apart a bit, but Melbourne are a tough one to beat, which is frustrating. Um, Yeah. And the worst team to give away, like their first 10 points, they gave away on basically penalties. mm. And I'm not arguing with the refs or anything about them penalties. Like if you go into a grand final and even if you think the ref is being harsh, you give up 10 points on penalties, you fucked up. Like, and, and to do it against Melbourne, you know, of all teams. Yeah, which you can't afford nah. to give penalties away because they'll just run away with it all day. Um, yeah. 
yeah, I don't think you can really blame. Unfortunately, you can't blame the ref for that grand final no. loss. No. Um, Unless you feel even good. with. <laughs> Unless you're the Raiders. Um, yeah, but even right. still, <laughs> the, I the think Raiders they're still salty about stuff. that. But, yeah. the but I don't think they were robbed of that grand final. <laughs> the Raiders always have a reason why they're hard done by, like, oh, the showers were too cold or whatever. There's always <laughs> you're some... living in Canberra, mate. It's cold down there all the time. Exactly. Shouldn't you be used to the cold? That's oh, a freezing, um, frigid bastard of a place. <laughs> yeah, so... I don't know, that was a bit of a bummer last year. It was a bit, you know, you look forward to grand final day because you always want it to be a close one. Yeah. Um, you always want it to go down to the down to the last minute. Um, and it, they, they sort of came close to doing that at the end. Penrith sort of got their stride back and I was like mm. listening to it in the radio in the car and I was like, they're so close. <laughs> and then I got home and was watching it and I was like, no, nah, <laughs> it's over. Yeah, they, they come home with a wet sail and it was like, yeah, the storm never. It was like the storm were never in doubt that they they'd won the game by that stage. Um, yeah. Now, one of the reasons I got you on the podcast is because you have some. You do something that I find very interesting, and sometimes I like talking to people on the podcast <laughs> who do something that it, I find I've got an interest in, but I don't know much about. You are into powerlifting. Yes. Now, how did you get into powerlifting? And, like, you, you've got a competition coming up. I think you said it was in a couple of months from now. Um, yeah, in August. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you start getting into powerlifting? How did that all come about? Um, I've, I started an office job, like, back in 2014, 15, and, you know, put on a bit of weight as you do when you're commuting to Sydney and sitting in an office all day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd sort of been in and out of the gym for a couple of years. Um, And in 2017, I'd played footy the year before um, and I like enjoyed that. But in the gym, it was always hard to find, I guess, that level of consistency um, and I guess a lot of people struggle with that because you want your results, you want to see it quick. Um, and the only way that like my personal trainers could keep me interested was by like, you know, leg pressing like heavy weights or doing yeah. something like that, heavy squats. Um, so in 2017, I was like, mm, okay. And I saw something about it on Instagram, I think. And I was like, oh, that looks cool. Mm. So I um, signed up for a gym that, I knew had like a powerlifting coach um, and I started going. I did a bit of strength training while I was playing footy in the season Mm -hmm. um, and found that, you know, that sort of gave me um, a really good, it it complemented footy really well. Yeah. Um, Not that I played for a good team, but, you know, like it it was complementing footy and I was finding that the extra strength was really helping. um, And plus I'd hurt my shoulder as well. So it was sort of, it was helpful in the sense that I was able to sort of get back a little bit of strength again. And, um, like, you know, getting stronger every week is just a really good motivator to keep going. So at the end of 2017, start of 2018, I went into a competition block, um, and I signed up for a comp and I found that that was pretty much probably the most consistent I had trained, um, in, probably ever Mm -hmm. 
I was managed managing to get into the gym four days a week doing my sessions I was enjoying it um it does it was a bit hard but you know it wasn't too hard to the sense that you know I was still beginning so yeah everything was sort of pulled back a little bit um and then I did my first comp and that was just I, I ended up hooked <laughs> um yeah I was like I want to do this all the time it was really fun um the day itself was stressful. Like I, I get really nervous before I play a game of footy. Yeah. And um, it was that same feeling of feeling like really like, oh, I can't eat anything. Like I can't sit still. Like the adrenaline sort of really got me. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I did two comps in 2018. And then I had 2019 off because I was finishing uni. Um, but I still sort of kept in the gym training and I also had a bit of a hip issue. Um, so it was more like rehab and sort of keeping myself sane while I did my last year of uni. And then 2020 was, you know, a write off for most people because the gyms were shut for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, but I managed to get a comp in at the end of the year last year and that just sort of it, getting back in the gym after training at home for a couple of months, I, I think last year really sort of reignited that flame again. Yeah. Um, just in the sense that you're working towards something. And I think another benefit that came out of powerlifting for me and what sort of has kept me going as well is that for women, especially like, you know, body image is such a big thing. Um, and you know, for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many girls go to the gym because, you know, they want a bigger ass or they want a tone or things like that. Mm-hmm. And for me, originally getting into the gym was to do that. And then it's, I sort of shifted away from that focus because I wanted to be strong. Yep. Um, and I think having the strength training there, you, your aesthetic changes, your body changes because you build muscle um, and it's not a bad thing. So I think that sort of really helped me in that sense too, like from a confidence perspective, like I feel so much better about my body because I am using it for, you know, like it's strong. Like I can appreciate what my body does for me. I guess that sounds like a bit weird, but you sort of learn to appreciate it because you're like, I'm lifting all this weight like every week. Like you'd have to like to add up all the kilos that you lift in a week in your training sessions and all the effort that you put into those competitions just for nine minutes on the platform for the whole day, like for a total of nine minutes, you're on that platform and you're putting in, you know, months of work for that. But the payoff is so worth it because you get so much more out of it than just the nine minutes on the platform. Yeah. Yeah. I Look, I started lifting just free weights myself at home and I, I was always like a, a runner and stuff like that. So doing upper body stuff, I just didn't bother with. And I started just lifting free weights. And it, as you get stronger and bigger and stuff, you do, you feel like great from it. It's it's hard to explain how um, positive that is for you mentally when, yeah. you know, and it's, it'll just be silly things like you'll have to move a bit of furniture or something and move it. You'll be like, man, I'll just move that like a gorilla. That's fantastic, yeah. you know. Well, even um, if you just like just little things like, you know, picking up multiple bags of groceries under yeah. each arm and just like looping them on and walking in the house with, you know, six bags of groceries and you're like, I'm only doing one trip today, boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, or even just like at work, like I work in a team full of dudes. And for a while when I started, people were like, oh, no, it's okay, I'll get it. And I was like, nah, it's fine. I can <laughs> I can probably lift more than you anyway. Like, just let me get the damn box. <laughs> it's fine. How often do you get people say, oh, can you lift me up? 
all the time. It became a little bit of a party trick. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's like, squat me, squat me. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, but, like, lifting a human is different to lifting a barbell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And trying to explain that to people, and I'm like, oh, don't, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Like, but it is funny, like, even just picking people up and the shock on their faces when you can pick them up or um, sometimes you shock yourself when, like you were saying, when you move furniture or, you know, you go into the bottle and you pick up a case of beer and you're like, oh, (laughs) this isn't too heavy. (laughs) It's uh, the other thing too, like you must see the shock on people's faces when they, when, when like say, they say, oh, lift me up and they'll, they'll grab your arm or something and they see how strong you actually are. Like it's yeah. it's a different thing from someone that's like, oh, yeah, I'm a bit stronger. It's like, nah, this is strength sort of thing. Yeah. Well, like I don't I don't really like to like brag about it just because mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, it's, you know, but sometimes when we go places, one of my friends or like my partner will say something like, yeah, Beck lifts. And I'm like, oh, no, no, just stop. <laughs> please. <laughs> I don't want to be carrying people around this party all night. <laughs> oh, geez, that's hilarious. So tell me, like, do you have to taper going into a competition? Because obviously there's there's weight classes. So, like, do you pick a weight class that is that you've got to taper down to, or is there, is it more a, a case of um, getting your body to the point where you know on, on in this sort of part of the calendar you're going to be at your strongest? It's it differs um, from person to person. Some people will um, train during their comp prep a, a higher body weight yep. and then they'll cut as they head into comp or they'll do a water cut depending on how many kilos you need to cut. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally train lighter, um, so I've just cut a couple of kilos. I'm in the under 83 weight class, mm-hmm. so I've just cut down to 80 um, and I'll slowly bulk back up to about probably 82-ish, yeah. 83 at night maybe, um, heading into comp. Um, I haven't had to experience a cut into comp, thankfully. I know a few people that do it, um, but it's sort of – it depends on the person. Some people will do it just because it's more competitive um, and it's easier to train at a heavier weight for them to carry that extra couple of kilos and then sort of, you know, cut it off really quick at the end. And then on comp day, they'll be, you know, three kilos lighter than they were during their yeah. training cycle. Um, but for me, a peace of mind is paramount because I am a massive stress head. So at <laughs> this point in time, just trying to sit comfortably under. Um, like last my last comp, I think that's probably the – yeah, the last comp I competed at about 82 kilos. Yeah. The last time I competed as an 84 before that was in 2018. 18 at the end of the year and I competed at about 79 kilos um but I was thinking about going down to about the next weight class down is 72 which is a pretty big jump when you think about it um yeah that's so the women the women sort of get done dirty in the heavier end because the lower weight classes are a little bit closer together so you can sort of jump between a couple of classes but then it goes I think it's like 64 72 83 um, but when I first started out, I was in the open weight class. So I was like 85, 86 kilos. And after I did that comp, I was like, I want to lose a bit of weight and go down into the lower weight class. Cause it's a bit more competitive than the open weight class was. Yeah. Um, and I was competing really light for an open girl. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, did you go in and there was some big girls? Yeah. No. So uh, there was only a couple of us in that that class when I competed. It was, like, all sort of new people at the first comp I did. Mm -hmm. So I cut down into the weight class below, but I was, like, halfway through cutting down to about 80 kilos, and they announced a new weight class where the open weight class was split. So it was, like, under 83 under 100, and then 100 plus is the open weight class. Okay. Um, and I was like, damn it, I could have stayed heavier, but I also didn't want to. Like, it was sort of unnecessary extra weight that I was carrying. Yeah. My diet wasn't the greatest. Um, and I was like, nah, it's time to just sort of, you know, get rid of it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I, I like to sit just under sort of comfortably enough that, I know that if I use a different set of scales, I'm still good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So like, do you, did you find personally for yourself, like you, so you dropped down to the next weight class down. Did you feel that you lost uh, a certain amount of ability to lift weight or was the discipline that you had to drop down? Were you still able to lift the same sort of weight? If that makes sense. I, yeah, it makes sense. I ended up cutting to about, uh, I think about 74 I was at my lightest. So mm-hmm. I got really close. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went away to Thailand for three weeks. So. <laughs> and then I got home and I was like, I don't want to cut weight anymore. I like food too much. Yeah. Um, and plus I was studying like my last semester of uni, but the discipline I think when I cut the initial, like did the initial weight cut from like 86 down to 80, yeah. the discipline I needed for that because my calories were so low was massive. Like mm-hmm. I'd come home and I was cooking dinner for like my partner and I, and he'd be having, you know, two potatoes with dinner and I'd have to have broccoli and cauliflower rice. <laughs> or like yeah. instead of spaghetti, I was having zucchini noodles. Like, and then you've got to like plan your whole week if you're going out for dinner, like to make sure that, you know, um, you're not going over your calories for the week and you're still going to make the drop that you need to make for that week. I think when I got to 75 kilos, I still had a similar level of strength. I'd probably lost a little bit, but in saying that I was also rehabbing a bit of an injury too. So it was a bit hard to gauge um, yeah. like how much strength I'd actually lost, but my deadlift was a little bit under, but I also wasn't peaked for comp. So it's yeah. hard to tell. Um, but I think I deadlifted like 150 unpeaked at my lightest, which was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then I benched like 70 or something, which was more than I'd benched in comp a few months before. Mm-hmm. So the strength was probably still there. And every now and then I have this like little moment where I toss up whether I actually want to do that again. And then I'm like, oh, I just, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of commitment. Um, and that's a big chunk of weight to lose. That'd be nearly 10 kilos if I was to do that now. So I'm like, uh, maybe one day, but right now I'm, I'm pretty comfortable at about 80 kilos. Like I like how my body looks, everything works as it should. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy, you know, eating for fuel and just for the enjoyment of eating, mm-hmm. um, because I love food and I'm one of those people that will plan my dinner for tomorrow tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hmm, what can we have for dinner tomorrow? And I'm, just I'm still cooking dinner for tonight or something like that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think, I think discipline is a big thing with weight loss. And I think that's where like in the past, 
I know I've gone really wrong because I like, that's probably the biggest amount of weight I've ever cut. Um, it's been like a very, it was a very slow progression of weight gain over the years. Cause you know, life happens. Yeah. Um, and you never realize until it's too late. So, and I was, you know, getting upset because all my clothes weren't fitting and I didn't feel comfortable in how I looked or like, and I didn't feel like great. Um, and appearance isn't everything, but I think when you're having those sort of feelings, like, and a lot of people, like I was saying before, like everyone wants results and they want to see it now, but if you yeah. actually put in the hard yards, it is worth it. And sometimes you don't realize how big the change is until you're finished and you look back as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. I know when I, before I'd started lifting weights and I didn't put on heaps of weight, but before I'd start, started lifting weights, I was like, I'll do this to, you know, something to do. And I remember there was one day I put on a T-shirt and I was like, what's wrong with this T-shirt? It's like, oh, the last time I put this on, it wasn't this big. I loved it. It was fantastic. It was just the best. It's, it's great. I um, I had that feeling last year, but it was a bit different with um, going back to the office last year because I didn't mm-hmm. wear, you know, my office clothes for like a good six months, mm-hmm. I reckon, last year. And then we started going back to the office a couple of days a week and I was like, oh, shit, better crack out the button-ups just to see <laughs> how they look. And I'd lost a little bit of weight because yeah. um, I'd started with a new coach and, like, I'd started training again and, you know, I was getting back into my stride. But I put a bit of muscle on during lockdown because I was training at home and I, I put some of my button-up shirts on and I was like, oh, my shoulders, like, I feel like I'm going to burst out. You know, in in white chicks when he wears that, like, leather suit and he comes out of the dress room and he's, like, all hunched over. Like, yeah. sometimes it feels like that when I put, like, a jacket or a shirt on and I'm like, oh, shit, I really liked that too and I can't wear it anymore. Yeah, I I did that with a couple of shirts where I was like, it, I feel like if I just, like, I could do an Incredible Hulk, you yeah. know, just tear them <laughs> apart. And party is like, oh, man, it, this shirt costs too much to do, but I really want to do it. Um, so, so yeah. The, you know, the other thing I want to ask you about is the weird situation where, you, like, you can drop weight but be bigger. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and vice versa. So, so like you'll be like it's a weird situation where you can be working out, but you're actually putting on weight if you just go by scales and you and it can play with your head a little bit where you're like, I, I'm working really hard. Why am I X number of, you know, it might be a kilo or a kilo and a half bigger since you last weighed yourself. And, and it's like because you can't always you don't always look, you know, massive. It's a weird sort of situation. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think sometimes you're like, why Why am I so heavy all of a sudden? And then you're mm. like, oh, I'm eating a lot of food and I'm training every day. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's funny for me because the last time I – like for a while I think I hit – last year at my heaviest because I did like a little bit of a gain and then I did a bit of a cut – So I've sort of been cycling through like maintenance and then like bulking up a little bit and then cutting. And I've never really done like a bit of a, like not so much like a massive bulk. It was just like a little bit just to sort of build the kilos back on. Um, And it's funny looking back because I hit about 84 kilos and I was like, that's weird. Like I had not seen 
the scales creep up like that in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting into that mindset of actually being comfortable with the scales going up because that's what you're aiming to do as well, I think can be yeah. a bit of a weird thing too. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, like I hit about 84 kilos and I was like, my body looks so different to what it did the last time I weighed 84 kilos. And like, even looking back, um, it came up on my Instagram memories, I think a month or so ago, um, a photo of my sister and I, when we played our first game of league together, and I looked at my legs and I was like, my legs were so skinny. <laughs> like, was I really, like, I thought that I was, I remember like looking back on photos of when I was in my early twenties or even like in high school. And I was like, I thought I was fat. Yeah. And there's no way, like looking back at that, like I was tiny. I was like, I've always been tall and mm-hmm. always never been like, you know, stick thin. But I was like, my legs were so little, like my arms and shoulders was so small like it's and it's a bit funny sometimes it throws you throws you out a little looking at those photos because you're like wow I didn't realize like how different I looked now yeah um but yeah it's um it's it's a good change Mm -hmm. um but sometimes it throws me out a little because I'm like oh that shirt fitted me six months ago and now (laughs) it doesn't yeah so I'm gonna have to go get a new wardrobe um everything has to be stretchy is yeah. my new criteria just because at least that way it's got give either way. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you is like, um, so, so when you go it, like, say you have time off from lifting and, and you might not be working out as much. Do you find that it is easier to, because you've been up at a certain weight and a certain size in terms of muscle mass is it easier to get back to that than it is for someone to start out and try and get to a certain level? Because I I found that like when I've stopped lifting weights and I'll lose the the muscle mass, but I feel like I can get back back really quickly when I want. Is that something yeah. you is like common in weightlifting as well? Um. I think so, and I think it, it sort of depends probably on how long you've been doing it and how much muscle mass you have as well. Mm-hmm. So I had a bit of time off, which sort of timed in with, like, the gym shutting. So I I sort of got to a point where I was like, I just need a bit of a break. I wasn't enjoying my training. I just I wasn't in a great mental state, and I was like, I need a break. Like, this is all – like, it's too much. So I put my gym membership on hold and I, and then the gym shut like a week or two later and I was like, geez, okay, talk about timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a little bit for me to get back into it yeah. um, just because I guess, you know, the state of the world at that time, everyone was a bit stressed, you know, yeah. you couldn't buy toilet paper. Mm-hmm. No one knew what was going on with their jobs. Um, we couldn't go anywhere or do anything really. So it was a bit of a weird one. Um but I think I enjoyed the time off because I sort of, I think I really needed it yeah. just to sort of like process everything that was happening. And also just my body needed the break. Um, and then getting back into it again, I don't think it was too bad. Um, I'd sort of done a little bit of training here and there at home, like made up like a really quick random program. And then I was doing like a bit of boxing and, more like just not using my car and walking if I needed to go somewhere um, just to get out of the house more than anything. Um, But yeah, I guess it sort of depends. It probably differs person to person. It also really depends how much time you have off as well. Like I know if I have like, you know, three, four weeks off, which I have in the past, if we've gone on holiday, 
I come back and I, if I was to do the same thing that I was doing before I left, I would not be able to walk the next day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think people underestimate how easy it is to get back to where you were before. Once you've set that really good base too. Um, So once you've sort of got that muscle mass there, you, you, body like remembers mm-hmm. once you do it start going again like it might take you a couple of weeks it's not going to happen overnight it's not like you go back to the gym after four weeks off and you have one session and you're like yeah I'm ripped again sick um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think I think it really depends for me it probably takes me a couple of weeks to get back to it um just because especially I reckon the first at least the first two weeks back Mm-hmm. um are a punish because you're so sore your body's like what on earth is happening like why are you moving like that again <laughs> <laughs> um, do you embrace that pain though oh sometimes sometimes mm. i think we underestimate like what our bodies are capable of i think but there's also a line like you sort of want to work smarter not harder like so you don't you don't always want to work to failure every session um mm. You, you sort of want to leave a little bit in the tank and you also don't want to wake up the next morning after every leg day you do and not be able to walk. And I think I've gone wrong with that in the past. And I think a lot of people still go wrong with it in the sense that people think you have to go hard in the gym and you don't like I was previously training four days a week. And then I started with my new coach and I get through most of my like off seasons with three days a week training. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am in the gym for like two hours at a time. So I guess it's sort of, it, it may as well be nearly four days. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I think that's something I really learned last year when I, I changed coaches and I started training again was sometimes less is better. Yeah. Sometimes and it's feeling more recovered actually benefits you. Yeah. It's like, I know that just from hearing uh, athletes and trainers and stuff talking over the last 10 to 15 years, there's been, there, the move away from training to failure has been pretty big. And yes. that's something that's some, I know when I started lifting my weights again, that's something I really focused on was like, don't lift until you can't lift anymore. That's stupid. Like, because you'll be able to lift tomorrow and the next day, you know, and uh, in, I mean, it must be extra important in powerlifting where I, you know, when you get to that failure, you know, sort of area, all of a sudden your technique and stuff starts going out the window because you're you're just trying to get the weight up. Yeah, and I think, like, there is a place for, I'm not going to say failure, but, like, close to mainly when you're, like, at the back end of a training block mm-hmm. um, and you're getting close to, you know, like a deload week or, say, for example, when you get into a peak for a comp, everything is so fucking hard, like mm. – and you move like your heaviest top singles, like absolute dog shit. And then on comp day, they move like an absolute dream. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's funny because your body builds up so much fatigue and you don't think about it. Um, mm. But yeah, the, I think there has been like, a, and I think something that's really come along in the last, you know, few years, especially is how important recovery is too. Yeah. Like not just, you know, stretching or anything like that, but sleep. Yep. The big one. Um, like I know if I go to the gym, sometimes I have to train after I've been in Sydney all day. And I, at the moment, because of last year working from home so much, it is so hard <laughs> to go to sleep early and get up early to go to Sydney for work. <laughs> um, so like, and you can feel the difference when you're training on, you know, five, six hours sleep compared to a solid eight. 
Um, and people really underestimate how much that comes into your weight loss too. Like if you're not sleeping like eight hours a night, you might not see that shift on the scales. It's not just, I mean, you've got to be in a calorie deficit, but if you're not recovering properly, um, and you're not getting enough sleep, your body's not going to have time to recover. And, you know, like it makes everything harder. Um, yeah. I've also heard that, uh, they believe that when you've been training physically in, in whatever activity, your discipline is that when you go to sleep that night it connects neurons and stuff in your brain like that's when that happens and so it's not just the moment that you're learning something while you're awake it's also really important to get a good night's sleep because it, it makes sure everything sort of beds down and and stays you know in your in your brain sort of thing which you would never have thought about like the, the one of the most important things with training is making sure you get a good night's sleep after it. Yeah, well, like, I think I read something, maybe it was like a couple of weeks ago about like professional athletes. Some professional athletes sleep like 12 hours a night. And I'm like, mm. I wish I had the time to sleep that much every <laughs> night. <laughs> but I would probably still wake up exhausted because sometimes I feel like 12 hours is too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, just give me like a good eight to 10 hours sleep and I'm good. But yeah. anything less... Because I used to think, you know, like I could run off next to no sleep every day, but you can't. Like you mentally, your body's not built for that unless you're one of those people. I think there's like a very small percentage of the population or something that actually sleep better, like or work, function better when they've had five hours sleep. And yeah. some people think that they're part of that population, but they're not. <laughs> 100% not, yeah, for sure. I, I know for, for me, I used to be able to go on – like if I had four hours sleep, that was plenty. But now it's like if I have less than seven, I'm a brain dead moron that is of no use to anyone. Yeah, pretty much. Well, like I used to go like when I first started working up in Sydney because I travel from Wollongong. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first started working up there, I was going to work on, you know, four or five hours sleep. And now I look back on that and I'm like, that's insane. Like, yeah. I was insane. I was insane to think that I was going to be able to do anything <laughs> on that much sleep. Like, yeah. if I get that much sleep now, I'm like, ugh. Like, <laughs> you know that you're in for it. Absolutely. shit show of a day if you don't get more than at least seven hours. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I think people really underestimate that aspect too. Like, it's not just about getting into the gym and, and you don't have to train like an absolute animal. Like, as and sometimes – I think people also like the consistency aspect of training too. Sometimes your training has to be boring because you have yeah. to do the same thing over and over again to see results. Mm-hmm. Like there's no point in changing your program every week. Um, you're not going to get the same thing out of that as you would doing the same program for, you know, eight weeks. Mm-hmm. I've been doing the same program since December now. So I'm a bit like, ugh. But I'm also getting really close to starting my comp block. So I'm like, light at the end of the tunnel. So close. <laughs> so close. Um, like variety is good. Don't get me wrong. And that's yeah. what I guess a powerlifting off season is for. Like I haven't squatted, benched or deadlifted in since my comp. I've been doing like variations of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't actually done like the proper comp style in, yeah, four months or something like that, which. Yeah. It's been a nice change because you sort of get sick of it. And it also, you know, like it's the off season is sort of just to, you know, strengthen, build the muscle so that you've got a good base going into comp. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, like people think that training has to be fun all the time. Sometimes it's not like my coach said to me a couple of months ago, he's like, sometimes it's about having like dedication over motivation. And I was like, that is so true. Like if you're really that dedicated to, you know, getting the result that you want, whether it's, you know, competition or aesthetic based or something like that, even on days that you don't feel like it, sometimes you just have to get up and do it. We all do things that we don't necessarily love to do. But mm-hmm. if you have that goal in mind, then if you really want it, you'll work for it. Yeah, yeah. Now, how much of powerlifting is horsepower and how much of it is technique? Mm. I think technique is something that is really drilled into you when you first start out. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess like depending on your coach and depending on how experienced they are as well, that, that can change from coach to coach. Um, I've personally found every coach I've gone to, there's always a slight tweak Um, and technique in powerlifting for a lot of people. It's about making the lift as efficient as possible. Like Mm -hmm. I have really long legs, so I'm not built for squatting or deadlifting. (laughs) Long femurs don't, don't assist. (laughs) <laughs> Long arms don't assist with benching, but here we are. So I think technique does have its place. Um, and I guess for some people, like you'd look at like the way that some powerlifters do their bench, for example, like powerlifters have an arch and you generally, generally when you bench, you want to have a little bit of that arch anyway to protect your shoulders and keep everything in place when you're benching. But now, powerlifters have like, is this where, because I saw a video you posted, oh yep. man, it might might have been last year or the year before, where you, you're benching, but your back is arched really high. Yep. Is that is that yep. this? Okay. Yes. Yep. So, and that's, and people are like, why do you do it like that? Mm-hmm. Like, what about your back? Are you going to break your spine? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm good. <laughs> um, But you you do that sort of not just to protect your shoulders, but like the bigger the arch, the less range you have to move that bar to. So for okay. people with long limbs, you know, it comes in handy because you're like lessening the range of movement that you have to go. So powerlifting, you've got your rules in place, but people like to stretch how far they can push it. Like some people will squat with a really wide stance or, you know, people will deadlift with a sumo stance, but really far apart. And the wider you have your legs, the less room between you and the floor. Yeah. Um, I can't. I can't do that personally. Um, I can arch, but that's about it. <laughs> in bench. Um, so I think technique does have a place in it because you want to make the lift as efficient as possible. And you also want to make sure that when you're lifting at that capacity, um, that your technique, you're not like totally breaking down in technique. Like there's always going to be like, I guess, a little bit of a breakdown. Nothing is going to be perfect. And that technique differs from person to person, depending on how your body is built. Um I, I probably would say that technique probably has a little bit more in it because you're keeping your body like safe. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to hurt yourself and you also know how to handle it and you're not going to, you know, dump the weight halfway through your squat or um, you're not going to miss a command because like when you, when you squat, yeah. when you walk out of the rack, um, you can't go until the judge says squat and sometimes that could be a couple of seconds depending on how long depending on how long it takes you to walk out of the rack and the bar settles 
Um, so, so, so you've got to take a big breath and you're literally waiting for the ref in front of you to put their hand down and yell squat. <laughs> and then oh, when yeah. you come back up, they say rack. So you like, you have to pay so much attention and so many people beat those commands and you get a no lift. Um, yeah. so, and that's the same with bench too. When you pull, like drop the bar down to your chest, it has to be still on your chest. And then the ref will say press so you can push it back up. And then they say rack. And if you're okay. not training for that in comp, training for that before comp, like you're probably going to miss it. <laughs> yeah. Unless, you know, by some miraculous or like, you know, you've been training with really long pauses or something like that. Like you, you have to pay attention. So not only are you lifting a ridiculous amount of weight that you may not have lifted in the gym, you're doing it in front of, a heap of people and then you have to listen to the judges at the same time to make sure that you're not doing things at the wrong time um so that you can get that as a good lift as well um like i think now, how strength- often do people just pass out wait <laughs> i don't know i i've never seen that um there's been i, I think there's been a few videos that come up on Instagram every so often of people vomiting <laughs> when they squat or deadlift. Yep. And I'm like, Oh, that's a nightmare. Um, <laughs> and you know, women sometimes pee on the platform when they deadlift, yeah. but, um, yeah. but I've never seen, Oh, I've seen a video of someone passing out at the top of a deadlift actually, like <laughs> when they were locking it out. <laughs> um, and I was like, Oh, I hope that never happens to me. <laughs> like I, it would I be, need- see that video holy crap i'll have to find it there was one a couple months ago i think yeah that's crazy that that's crazy locking it out and then they pass out what like the worst time to do it yeah well i think they dropped like the bar which is good but i mean i can understand why it happens because the amount of adrenaline that goes through your body and the amount of energy that you're using to like lift that weight as well like is insane but yeah, no, no thanks. <laughs> um, so how going into a competition is that? Do you lift for a certain number of days going into competition day so that your muscles are fresh, or is it the complete opposite? You lift right up to it. So you usually have a peak. It depends, but typically about two weeks out, you finish your peak. So for about two weeks, so you say when you're about three weeks out, you start your peak and that mm. is death because you're physically exhausted and you still have to go in and do your top squat, your top bench, your top deadlift for the cycle. Mm-hmm. And you're mentally fatigued. So you're like peak week for me is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> you're mentally foggy. You're tired. Um, everything is heightened because you're just so exhausted from, you know, like the accrued fatigue. So you peak and then in the week leading into comp, you usually do three days. Mm-hmm. And again, depends on the coach and their approach to comp day. Um, so I've done two different approaches into comp day. Both of them work pretty well. Um, both of them were like a three day and you do your last day about three days out from comp. So you have two full days off before you compete. Um, one of them was doing everything at like 40% squat bench deadlift, mm-hmm. lifting at about 40, 50, or no, 60% or something like that, doing like a really quick deload week. 
The mm-hmm. other approach is a taper where you do maybe like a top squat and bench, then you're deadlift on the second day, and then on the last day you'll do a lighter squat um, and a heavy bench, and you don't do any accessories, and then you go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that point you're like totally fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but then – it's funny how quickly you recover as well because, like, I remember my last session before comp last year, I was like, I am dead. And I had yeah. failed my heavy bench on the Monday and the Wednesday came around and I had to do it again. And I was like, oh, God, this is going to be a shit show. Like, I was so tired the other day and I'm still, like, absolutely, like, dead now. Mm. Um, but it's amazing how quickly your body recovers from the taper because you're very suddenly sort of cutting it off. Yeah. <laughs> You sort of do those three days, but you're just going in to do those top lifts just to sort of keep, like, grease the groove, um, and then you have the time off. And you, general rule of thumb is you go into comp day feeling pretty good. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, the, the peak into comp, I reckon, is, like, the hardest part because you've already been training pretty hard for, you know, like, 12 weeks. It sort of builds up over time. Yeah. But, by the like last couple of weeks, you're like, I'm so done. Like, take me into comp day. <laughs> Just carry me. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> and do, do you ever have a like have days where you'll think to yourself, Oh man, I just haven't got it today. And then you go in and you'll lift the personal best or vice versa where you're like, I'm feeling so strong. I'm going to throw these things around today. And it's just super disappointing. Um, I think I've become a bit better at sort of gauging like where I'm at. Sometimes I think I underestimate, like sometimes I'll feel like absolute shit. And I'm like, I, the last thing I want to do today is go sit in the gym for a couple of hours and knock out this session. And then I get there and I start and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I actually feel really good. Yeah. Or you'll do your last warm up and you're like that move, like asshole. Like, I don't know how this, how this is going to go. And then you do your top single or you do your heavy set and you're like, Oh, okay. We're good. Um, I don't, I don't really go into the gym like cocky or anything just because, you know, like I'm in the gym. I just, I just want to be left alone in the gym more than anything. (laughs) Like the gym is my escape. Um, that's my me time. So I like to go in and just sort of like, not, not so much cruise, but just go in and get it done. Um, unless I'm like, you know, dragging myself along the floor after work and I'm like, I don't want to go, but I have to go today. Um, this prep will be a bit interesting because I'm playing like AFL at the same time. So I don't know how much fatigue I'm actually going to get from games yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's going to be the interesting part. And then I guess, because I've been trying to do at least one day of training with the team because I feel like that's something, you know, you need to do if you're committing to the team sport, you've got to at least go to one training, training Mm day. I don't want to be that guy that turns up on game day and hasn't been at training all week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I think this one will be a bit interesting cause I don't, I'm probably going to have to cut AFL training out for a little bit, yeah. um, just to make, cause I'm going to probably be training four days a week. Yeah. Um, and I don't really want to be training the day after a game because nah, <laughs> nah that, that, that's going to be like my sleep day. Yeah. Um, and you got your priorities. Tra- yeah. So I don't know. It'll it'll be an interesting prep. I'll I'll have a couple of weeks off AFL before I go to Melbourne to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, because like 
I don't think I'll be able to function as a human by peak week. Like <laughs> there's no way that I can run around a field and play AFL while yeah. I'm peaking for comp. Like <laughs> I would probably collapse in the middle of the field and be like, nah, I tell I'm coming you, I, a nap. I tell you what, on an AFL field, you must scare the shit out of some of the girls you're playing against when they run into I haven't played stuff. yet. I'm actually oh, playing my first game on Saturday. Ah, there you so go. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, Everyone said that they're like, oh, you know, like you're gonna you're gonna have to smash some people, and I was like, oh, maybe they're gonna be too quick. <laughs> that must be the other thing too. Everyone just like assumes you're gonna attack everything in life, like the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, oh, come on, you're strong, you can do yeah. it. Like yeah. a couple of months ago, I was helping my dad mow the back lawn, and yeah. our back lawn, like the grass, is so thick, yeah. and I was mowing the lawn, and I got halfway through and I tapped out. <laughs> and our lawnmower was really heavy. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, it's too hard. I don't want to mow the lawn anymore. And he's like, you can go spend three hours in the gym every night, <laughs> but you can't mow the lawn. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I don't have the cardio for this. <laughs> Shit. Uh, by the way, what, what position did you play when you played rugby league? <laughs> so in my first year, I played on the wing. Yeah. And I was probably like the biggest winger. <laughs> um. And then my second year, I played like a bit of a mix of front row, second row, which yeah. was heaps more fun. Yeah. And I think I knew a bit better what I was doing by that point too. Um, yeah. So and I didn't play for like the best team. Like we got flogged nearly every week. I think we came second last the second year I played. The year, the first year I played, we came last. We didn't win a game. Yeah. Um, and then the second year I played, we won, I think, like two games or something. Yeah. But um, it was good fun. I. I kind of miss it. Like I played yeah. Oz Tag for a bit after, mm-hmm. um, but I also don't miss waking up on a Sunday morning feeling like I've been hit by a bus. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I did my shoulder like playing footy too uh-huh. um, because like I think people underestimate like good tackle technique and we didn't learn it because, yeah. you know, it's just a local women's league comp. Um, that must have been but- scary because like you must have been thinking, how's this going to affect my lifting? <laughs> yeah. Well, I sort of – I actually – initially heard it playing Oztag because some dude dropped his shoulder into me when I went to pick the ball up and nearly knocked me out. Mm. <laughs> he must have forgotten that we were playing Oztag, not League. <laughs> so I initially, like, sort of niggled it a little bit, and then I think I totally flared it up playing League because I was always tackling with my right shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very right-hand dominant because, you know, I, I, I write with my right hand. I, you know, t- like, move the mouse around with my right hand. Yeah. Um, carry my handbag. So it was a bit of a tough one because I did that whole first two comp preps pretty much like while I was nursing, like um, tendonitis in my rotator cuff. Yeah. And that was brutal. Like I, anytime anyone says to me, yeah, I've got problems with my rotator cuff. I'm like, I can relate. That yeah. is not a fun time. So it actually took me like, and it was something that took a long time to sort of get to a level where I wasn't getting any more pain. Like I think last year and this year is like the most consistently I've gone without any pain in that shoulder. And like it became something that I was so used to because you get so used to just living with like everything so tight and uncomfortable. Um, So I, I miss league, but then at the same time, I'm like, I would rather just watch it from a distance and yeah. not, not go back there again. I thought about doing it again, and then I was like, ah, nah, with, like, um, powerlifting. And then I was like, now I'm like, you dickhead, you're playing AFL. But I guess it's a different sort of contact in a way. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting. I've, I've just sort of been like picking up the rules as I go with training and I've been watching like the boys play. Um, and I'm like, this is just the most chaotic thing I've ever seen. Like, because league has so much structure to it and yeah. you know, you know where you're meant to be. The ball follows in a line and you go oh, back and forth up the field. But in AFL, it's like someone drops the ball and it's a free for all. And then it's like, it's like watching seagulls yeah. fighting over a chip. Yeah, it is. And yeah. I was like, this is chaos. Like, how do you even? And then the momentum of the game can shift so quickly too. Like one team will have the ball and they'll be kicking it across the field or passing it or whatever. And then all of a sudden the ball's going in the total opposite direction. And you're like, what? Blink and you'll miss it. I guess that happens in league sometimes, but like it's, yeah, it's really different and trying to get my head around it, like even just handballing, like I know I'm going to get pulled up for passing the ball. I'm mm. going to be like throwing it like a league ball and be like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how you balance the two disciplines. And it's yeah. like, Look, the powerlifting thing, and you know, I've I've direct messages sometimes asking about the different things you're doing and stuff. I find it really fascinating, um, especially to to talk to a female that got into it and, and did it like naturally, you know, in terms of it, it wasn't something the whole family did and she got into it. It's like <laughs> something you kind of did yourself. So it's uh, yeah, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about it. Yeah, it's um. It's, I think it's something that's definitely getting bigger with women as well. Like the first comp I competed in, there was more girls than there were, were dudes, which is oh, really? pretty fantastic. Like, yeah. yeah. So the whole morning session was all women and the whole afternoon session was men. Yeah. Um, so it's something that's it's getting bigger. And I, I mean, hopefully I, I'd like to think that I could talk a few people into doing it. I'm trying to talk my sister into doing it at the moment because she yep. talked me into league and AFL. So I was like, <laughs> all right. I'm going to have to talk you into this. Um, but I think it's also something that a lot of people don't know about. Like, yeah. who knew that you could compete by doing something? It's not, like, necessarily simple, but mm-hmm. you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be fit and rare in a go. You don't have to be, like, an athlete mm-hmm. persona type to do it. And it's it's a sort of – it's a competitive sport, but in saying that, everyone is still really supportive, which I think is massive. Like, everyone will cheer you on on the platform. It does not matter how much weight oh, you're lifting. That's awesome. Like, that's awesome because it, it's funny because there are some competitive environments where everyone's out against each other, and then there's other ones where it's like, yeah. man, like just, oh, you know – you broke the record. That's fantastic. Someone was going to get it, and and that's cool that that powerlifting's that way. Yeah, it's such a supportive like environment, and it's it's for like any age. Like there's people from like all walks of life that do it, which is pretty cool. Like I think it's it's pretty awesome to be able to go and you know see some of the oldies out there powerlifting, or you know like I think you can do it from like sixteen and up or something. Yeah maybe younger i don't know actually. how do you get into it just say somebody's listening and they want to get into power um, what's the first way thing there's a do? couple of different ways you could do it it just sort yeah. of depends on the area you live in as to how big certain federations will be um as well there's a few different federations that float around there's two main drug tested federations in australia so that's mm-hmm. powerlifting australia and then you've also got the australian powerlifting union as well mm-hmm. um but 
the main thing that I would say to people is if they want to give it a go, I think most places, like most areas have novice comps. Yeah. If you really want to give it a go just to see what it's like without having to pay all the money for the belt and the, the soft suit and all the gear, sign up for a novice comp. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did the expensive way and signed up straight away for a registered comp, but but like looking back in hindsight, I mean, it's lucky that I loved it and I caught the bug. <laughs> but yeah. for most people that ask me how to get into it now, I just, you know, find a coach that can, like a strength coach or if you can, a powerlifting coach. Um, most of them will say that they're specialized in, you know, powerlifting um, and hit them up. And if you want, do a novice comp or maybe if you really think that you can commit to it. Um, sign up for a federation, give it a go. It doesn't hurt. I mean, worst case, if you don't like it, you don't have to do it again. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I really know anyone that's done it and did, and hated it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you just sign up for a novice comp or sign up for any competition or federation, really, um, and make sure you have a coach, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and just give it a go. Like, that's all I can recommend to people is you're not going to know unless you do it, and it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um. I like I wish I could explain to people like how fun comp day is. It's stressful, like stressful as fuck, but it's also and chaotic as fuck, but it is so much fun. Um, and it's such a, you know, like diverse, like welcoming environment, like all kinds of people do it. You don't have to be so-called strong to do it. Like it does not matter. Like people will get up there and cheer you on regardless um, of what level you're at. Well, that's uh, that's awesome. It's, uh, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk and good luck in the competition when it comes up. Um, we'll all be cheering for you. Uh, Thank and you. yeah, it's, uh, man, like if you win it, you got to let us know. <laughs> I will. I will. You'll hear all about it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, if you win it, we'll get you back on. Right. And you can just brag. You can talk shit about all your competitors uh, just like <laughs> just a humble brag. Just yeah, get yeah. back on the podcast and talk about it for an hour. <laughs> you, you can sound like the Panthers, bloody arrogant bastards. Um, oh, so arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> so, where can people find you? And have you got anything to promote? Um, people can find me on Twitter at Beck 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 underscore. Or on Instagram at Rebecca.Tenchevsky. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much me. Nothing to promote, just myself. Excellent. Well, you know, <laughs> you're, you know what? You're my favorite female power lifter. So there oh, you go. Oh, thank you. So kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for everyone for listening. Um, if you want to get in touch, go to fergunfreak.com, go to the contact section, send us an email. And uh, we'll read it out on the podcast eventually. And uh, once again, thanks for joining us, Beck. Thank you so much for having me.